watching the movie, uh, is who could do a better job at playing a genie uh, than the original Robin Williams uh, depiction? Have you seen the old Aladdin at least? How many people have seen the old Aladdin? All right, so maybe you could track a little bit. But Molly's, Molly uh, was saying, who could play a better genie than Robin Williams? And is Will Smith really going to be able to do that? I don't know about anybody here, but I left the movie thinking Will Smith nailed it. So I thought it was just this great uh, movie about a genie and a magic lamp and all these things. It was just a, a phenomenal uh, depiction, the, the brand new one. Uh, and, and those of you that haven't seen the movie, uh, shame on you. No, uh, those of you that haven't, you probably can at least relate to the story, right? The idea of this young boy finding this, this lamp, and it's sort of, you know, this, this story of this, this kid who finds a lamp, and then he rubs the lamp to find out what he's going to be doing, where, where he's going to be going, and, and like all these different things that could set a whole new course for his life, right? If one of these three wishes is said correctly, it could change the whole course of his life and, and giving clear direction. And so this week, as we look at Psalm 37, it deals with the will of God, and I think there's a lot of people that find themselves in a similar boat as uh, the movie, all the different uh, nuances in the movie of figuring out God's will. Like when we think about God's will, I think of four different types of people that come to mind that I've dealt with uh, over God's will or even been in their shoes at different times. And the first person would be the picker. Uh, so uh, the first person uh, that, I, that I see or, or person type that I see when we think about God's will is a person that has like sort of this mysterious uh, sort of idea about what God's will. It's sort of mystical, like, ooh, I hope I can, you know, unlock all the locks and I can pick the locks and figure out what God has unlocked for me. You've seen those people that have looked at the Bible and discovered all these special codes in the Bible that we're supposed to figure out and, and sort of all these uh, different ideas of how they might. So they're, they're the picker group. Uh, the second group that I thought of when, when I thought of God's will was the Grinner group. Obviously, I'm a picker, and then we've got the Grinner. Uh, those are the people who uh, are moved to inaction out of fear for misstepping, that they, they feel like God's will is so high above them that I don't want to screw it up, so I'm just going to sort of stand still like a corpse and hope that things work out for me and that I'm somehow magically in God's word uh, or in God's will and that it's magically just going to appear, but I'm just going to stand still and let it work. Like God's will just kind of work out for me. The corpse people, the, the grinners. Uh, and then uh, the next group would be the floaters. Um, and, um, and maybe uh, for others, you, you could be in this group. Uh, this is the idea that God has a plan for your life and uh, you're uh, invited to walk in it. Uh, and you notice that God is leading uh, well, let me, how do I describe the floater really well? I have stuff down here I don't want to offend anybody. The floater is the person that just is, is there. Like, magically, God is just going to do something. They're the, the couch potato Christian that I'm just going to sit down and God is going to do something great and I'm going to, and God's going to, maybe you want to use, like, these are Christians I'm talking about. These aren't non-Christians. These are Christian groups. And so the picker that God's will is mysterious, and, and then the, uh, the Grinner group, right, like where um, you, you just are moved in action because God's will is just so big that, I, I, you know, I, I just don't want to screw it up. And then, and then the, the third group, the floaters, are the, the couch potatoes who are like, all right, 
I hope God does something good through my life, and at the end of it, it's great, but they don't ever do anything about it. Uh, there's no effort towards it at all. And, and then the, the fourth group, and this is the, the, the rubber group. This is the, uh, the genie and a magic uh, lamp group. Um, uh, this is the person that um, believes that God's will is actually for their benefit. Um, this is the people that believe that they, you know, uh, I'm a Christian and now God exists for my betterment. God exists for my health. God exists for my wealth. God exists for me to, to make moves in life. And they just go about life believing these things. And then they're completely disenfranchised when things just don't work out. And I feel like all four of these groups, there are pitfalls in each of these four groups. Luckily, this is not for any of us. This is all for those sinful Christians outside of this room. But regardless of what you would categorize yourself as coming in, maybe you've got another category. I hope that this pattern that David lays down would embed itself in your heart. I think uh, maybe Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you can write that down and look at it later. Maybe another really powerful verse in, in finding God's will uh, for you. But I feel like David lays down this pattern, and I just want it to embed itself in every believer that I can. Like when we talk about making disciples, uh, you knowing what God has for you, uh, you being in tune with God's voice and walking forward by faith, uh, there's really not a whole lot that is less imperative uh, to your walk with Christ. And this am we're, we're going to look at um, God's will. I want to give three uh, truths about God in, in regards to God's will, and then we'll actually hop in, then I'll start preaching. Uh, but uh, I'm going give to you, give you three verses uh, that we want to just lean on in kind of a, a rough understanding of God's will. Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, this, is, this is from God's vantage point. And, and here's what we need to know. God has a plan, right? Jeremiah 29, 11 is, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And I would say that for each person here that God has got, we're going to just take one part of that verse out for each of us. God has a plan for you. Like you're not here by mistake this morning. Uh, you are not a believer in Jesus Christ by mistake. God has a plan for you. Uh, everybody's plan is different. Uh, there are some things that are the same. Uh, however, God's uh, God's will for you walking forward and, and what God has those answers to the things that you are wondering about uh, to do next. Those things that are in your heart, that God put them there inside of you. God has a plan for you. Everybody repeat up for me. God has a plan for me. All right, we're going to do that again. Sorry, you guys repeated right away. God has a plan for me. All right, God, we can know that by scripture that God has a plan for each and every one of us, all right? Uh, number two, um, Isaiah 41, 13 uh, says this, I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. I am the one who helps you. Here's what you need to know about God's will, is you are not just put out on a desert island as a Christian, sort of, like, like to figure out what God has for you. This isn't unlocking any sort of key. Uh, in, in Isaiah 41, 13, it's clear that God holds your right hand and walks you through this. If you are somebody that has a humble heart 
and is ready to say, God, what do you have for me? One of the riskiest prayers ever. God, I, I want to do whatever you want for me. Show me what you have for me. If you pray that, your life will radically transform within about three or four weeks. I guarantee it. You begin to pray that every day. God, show me what you have for me today. Woo! Watch out. But here's what you need to know about God's will is he has a plan. And number two, he's going to walk you through that plan. God is not just going to leave you out there to try to figure it out. It's not some mystical thing that you may run into. Oh, there I'm in God's will. No, no, no. God has a plan. Number one. Number two, God's going to walk you through that plan. And then number three, uh, maybe the most important for us in this time period now uh, is John chapter 14, verse 24, where it talks about the Holy Spirit being our counselor, our teacher. So the way that God walks us through his will is through his Holy Spirit. And so this is uh, when somebody uh, comes to faith in Christ, what God does is he awakens inside of each believer. He awakens the Holy Spirit, and it's to lead you. Holy Spirit, he's to guide you. He's to direct you. He's to counsel you. He's to coach you. And he is the mode that God speaks through. He is the speaker. You know, you've seen like the, the people go, wicked, 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 right? Like on, like they always have the, the headphone in one ear. He's that headphone on you that God is speaking to you 100% of the time. And so if, you're, if you just wake up in the middle of the night tonight and you hear, wicked, wicked, it's God, just the Holy Spirit, and he's jamming out in your ear. That's his, his speaker in your ear. That's how he guides you and says that he counsels you. He's not there yelling at you. He ain't, he's a lot nicer than I am. But he's not there just yelling at you what to do. He's pointing and counseling you and guiding and directing and loving and pointing you back to Scripture and pointing you back to the Father's love and pointing you back to the cross all the time. It's his mode of leading us. There are a thousand different ways we could go in the message about God's will. Uh, in this list that we're going to go through in a minute that David has, I realize some of you looked at Psalm 37. It's intimidating. It's long. We're not going to go through the whole thing. Praise Jesus, only seven verses. Maybe eight if I get spunky. But, um, but the list is not exhaustive, but what it does is it gives you a really good platform for finding God's will uh, for your life. Um, so I want to give just a, a bit of context as we arrive on, on, on Psalm 37. So this is one of David's psalms. So David was, uh, was the writer, the author of this psalm, uh, and, and he's looking back as an old man, how I figured out that he's an old man at this time, I, quite honestly, I'm just leaning on a whole bunch of really smart dead guys that wrote books that I read. Uh, but they all point to this fact that this is uh, Psalm 37 was written when David was old and when he was looking back on his life. And you know what you gain when you're old and you look back on your life? A lot of regrets. No, no. A lot of perspective, right? We, we want to put it in a nice package. A lot of perspective. David's looking back at when he was younger, and we're going we're gonna to see that. And if there was ever anybody to talk about God's will for their life, it was David, because he, like you and I, made a lot of mistakes. And, and as David is looking back, he knows something about the will of God. He looks back, and, uh, and he sees that, that point. And I, and I believe the scenario that he's talking about throughout this, these verses, uh, not officially, but there's a scenario or this season in David's life, and it was about a 16-year season when David was a teenage boy, and, and we talked about this a week or two ago, uh, where David was a, a teenage boy, and all of a sudden Samuel turns up, and what does Samuel pour all over him? Oil. Yeah, he anoints him. 
he says, you're going to be king. And he, and he dumps this oil all over David's head, and he's like, well, great, now I'm full of oil. And, and what that was was that was his calling to be king, but he wasn't king yet. And so David goes into the season of maybe 15, 16, 17 years where he is waiting to become king. And in that season, he's pursued by the current king, Saul. Saul tries to nail him to a wall with a spear. Saul hates David so much, and he's so jealous of David that he even tries nailing his own son to a wall with a spear. He has a thing with spears, right? To just take sharp objects away from Saul, and everybody would have been all right. Uh, but, but David, in this season, he fights Goliath, right? Um, he helps out Saul, and, and, and he runs from Saul. And there's this whole season where he's trying to figure out, and it was a confusing season, and I believe it was written, David, looking back on that scenario, that 16-year season between what God spoke and then the fulfillment of what God spoke to David. So let me pray, and then we will go ahead and dive in. God, we, uh, we're opening your word this morning, Psalm 37, and God, these are just dead words on a page unless your Holy Spirit brings them to life. And God, I pray this morning uh, that your Holy Spirit would bring them to life. Uh, God, that you would uh, use these words to encourage us. Uh, God, that you would help us to um, just be guided through this well. Uh, God, that you would give the listener understanding and that you would uh, just temper my heart, give me the ability to communicate clearly in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 37, uh, starting in verse 1, sort of sets, sets a little bit of context uh, for where David is going. And then uh, it is almost as if David is talking to somebody younger and passing on wisdom in the way that it's written. Let me, let me read just these first two verses. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. So, so this is really important in understanding the rest. Now, he's going to go back to this point over and over again throughout the psalm. But it's almost as if David is talking to a younger person who is just getting, maybe it's a younger person in the faith, who is just getting frustrated with, with watching people that don't love God prosper. He's looking around and he's saying, all these people that compromise, they seem to be better off than me. And, and David starts talking and he says, hey, don't worry about them. They're going to fade like the grass. It's almost as if he's saying, don't even bother giving thought to that. Like as soon as you get frustrated about that stuff, you're going to be led astray into poor paths. Like your mind is going to be off and you're going to miss what God has for you. And then David sits down and he's going to give us four things to really focus on. So it's almost like he takes a young man and instead of looking at the negative, he says, no, 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 no. Here's what you do. Here's what evildoers did. Yeah, 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 I get it. You know, I mean, and again, think about David. A 16-year season of watching a wicked king prosper, David knowing he was going to take the throne at some point, and just questioning maybe God through that. He's like, I understand you young guys. I understand you young folks. Man, you're just frustrated with so much. There's so much angst inside of you. There's no reason for it. Let me give you something to focus on, and that's God's will. So here's what he says. Uh, in the next several verses, I'm going to read the next several verses here. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and be, uh, befriend faithfulness. If you have a Bible, if it's your Bible or a pew Bible, underline that. Befriend faithfulness. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him 
and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So number one, if I'm saying, all right, if, if I'm talking to you, if I'm just you know, an old fart Ryan talking to you uh, in the place of David, the first lesson I want you to know about finding God's will for your life. So I, if you're like me, I'm always wondering, what's God got for me next? Like, what's, what's the next thing God's going to bring up? I hope that's your heart this morning. If it is, I hope you uh, are just really built up in this. So the first lesson I would say, uh, along with David, would be pursue faithfulness. If you want to know the will of God, you must, uh, we must feed our faithfulness to God. So again, here's what David says in verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Befriend, befriend, befriend faithfulness means feed on faithfulness. How cool is that? Befriend faithfulness. He's like, if you want to know God's will, I'm going to give you uh, one note, and that's what you do with your life, is that in every area of your life, you are faithful to God. In every area, if you're in, in, any, uh, in any arena, so if that's at work, you're faithful to God. If that's at home, you're faithful to God. If that's in marriage, you're faithful to God. If that's with your kids, it's faithful to God. If that's in purity, in things of purity, it's faithful to God. In the way that you talk, faithfulness. Pursue it, man. Find faithfulness in every single area. And you feed on it. It's almost as if he's saying, I want you, Christian, to look at how faithful of a God that you have. How steadfast his love is for you. And I want you to feed on that. And that's going to feed the rest of your life. I want you to look to God and his faithfulness, and I want you to mimic that in every area. That when you read something in God's word and it pierces you in the heart, that you are like, yes, yes. Feed on faithfulness. Befriend faithfulness. It's the first lesson in discovering God's will. If you have an area of your life that you know is compromised, I mean, you have given the enemy space. You have uh, sold some of your property and said, hey, Satan, you have a field day with it. Or you have an area where you just know it's wretched sin and you don't even want to tell anybody else. That's going to really confront you. You may tell somebody that pats you on the back, but, man, you don't want to tell somebody that's going to hold you accountable. It's not faithfulness. I mean, I mean think about how that would be with Molly and I, ooh, I didn't ask Molly for permission. Think about how that would be with you and your spouse, not Molly and I. No, think about how that would work. Hey, Molly, six and a half days a week, I'm yours. But there's this other girl, and man, I just want this other area. She just gets half a day. You're the, you're the apple of my eye, but I just want to give this other girl half a day. I mean, first of all, Molly would kick the crap out of me. I'm sorry to use crap in church, but Molly would beat me up. Let's just be, those of you that know Molly, can we vote? Molly would beat me up. All right, yes, we know. All right, but, but honestly, how often do we do that with God? And we're saying, hey, God, I'm going to be faithful to you like you are faithful to me. Six and a half days a week. 
Well, there's a half a day. I'm giving it to another God. He says, no, no, no. You want to know God's will for your life? Befriend faithfulness. Befriend, befriend faithfulness. Does that mean you're not going to make mistakes? No. Does that mean you feed unfaithfulness? Absolutely not. So if you want to keep doing that, I'll guarantee that there is going to be a marred picture of what God's will is for you. So that was the grumpy point. The rest of them are pretty, pretty gentle. Um, number two, focus your delight. Probably the most powerful verse in all of this. If, if you've been with us, you've probably underlined this in your Bible already. Uh, if not, then I am not a faithful preacher yet, but I'm getting there. All right. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let me read that again. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Here's the problem with you're in my heart. We want the wrong things. We just, we innately, we want the wrong things. We want the easy path. We want the, the easy God that we can sort of manipulate. We want the genie whose lamp we can kind of rub and figure things out. And this is old man David, and maybe he saw all the times that he had misplaced delight. You see, if the believer struggles with sin, and here's what we need to understand. If the believer struggles with going down the wrong path habitually, if you're, one of those, if you're single and you just keep finding yourself dating the wrong kind of girl or the wrong kind of guy, or, uh, or you're married and you're dating, um, you find yourself in these little patterns and these caveats here or there, and you just can't, you're like, man, I just keep finding myself in this cycle. You don't have a sin problem. That's the good news. You have a delight problem. Why can't the believer have a sin problem? Because it was left on the cross. Your sin has already been dealt with. Your sin has already been dealt with. Jesus already, you're like, I don't get it. I'm going to try to give you, get it to you here. You, your sin is on the cross. You don't have a sin problem anymore. Jesus dealt with that. What you have is a delight problem. You're trying to find your delight in things that weren't meant to delight you. It was only God. God was the thing that was supposed to awaken you. God was the thing that was supposed to excite you. You have a delight malfunction. You don't, you don't have a sin problem. So he's saying when it comes to my will, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And David can write this because David chased wrong delights his entire life. And now he's old and he's like, man, how many times did I blow it? And the second half of the verse says he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean he's just going to give you whatever you want at this point right now. That means he implants new desires where selfishness and busyness and idols and heart wanderings and neutral activities are living currently. It means as you make God your delight that everything else just becomes blah compared to him. Everything else just becomes black and white. I think this is an amazing verse and here's why only and, and this is like the here's how we understand God only our God 
only our God would take your and my sinful heart and say, I'm going to use that, redeem that, and lead you. I want to repeat that. Only our, because I didn't get enough amens on that. Only our God would look at our sinful heart and say, I'm going to redeem that, and I'm going to use that to lead you. That's only our God does that. There's no other God that does that. If you uh, veer from the other gods in this world's path, they cast you out. They cast you out. Or they just never really cared about your choices to begin with. But our God says, no, I see your sinful heart. Here, here's, <laughs> here's our go-to verse for this. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Amen? Right? Like my heart, if, 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 I don't, if I don't make sure that Christ is on the throne of my heart moment by moment, then I'm like, my heart is desperately sick and is going to try to lead me in the wrong way. Now here's what God said, your heart is desperately sick. Yes, but I'm known as the redeemer and I'm going to change your heart and I'm going to use the very thing that led you to sin and led you to be astray from me. I'm going to change it so that my glory is seen. And now you're seeking the Lord. And now you're hearing from God. He changes you when he's your delight. Delight in the Lord. And then he gives you the desires of your heart. He gives you new wants. As one preacher put it, he fixes your wanter. He just completely changes it. The things that you wanted before that you thought you needed... He says, no, 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 I've got better for you. And he uh, sometimes dramatically, sometimes in clicks, just degrees, changes your heart. So the question is, at the end of the day, is Jesus what brings you joy? Is he your delight? Number three, he lightens your load. Here's the cool part about God's will, is he didn't, he didn't design you to carry the weight of finding out his will. Isn't that cool? He doesn't say, I want you to pray three times a day facing east, and then you'll know what God has for you. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, when you run four miles a day uphill, and, and then you, uh, you go and you help a homeless person, and then you go and you help a homeless person walk the street, then you'll know God's will. He doesn't say that at all. What God says is delight in the Lord, and he's going to change your heart, he's going to direct you, and here's what the next verse says. Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he will act. None of the weight is on you. Except for correcting, you know, our, our, uh, our misplaced delights. That is in us. But there's no, like, straining to know God's will in this verse. He says, commit your way to the Lord. It's, it's a verse that we've talked about several times, and it's just simply the picture of somebody carrying a sack of grain and being done carrying it, exhausted, and rolling it onto somebody else's shoulder and them taking it the rest of the way. So when we read the word commit, that's what it is. When you read the word commit in Hebrew, that, that's exactly the meaning behind that verse. And so after you know that you're making God your delight... And this is the picture of prayer. You roll all that weight onto God. So all those areas of your life that you're thinking, God, are you, are you even here? God, what do you want me to do? God, how do I re respond? How do I act? God, I don't understand where I'm at. 
I'm just wanting your will. If he's your delight, the next step is that in prayer, you commit that to him by rolling it off of you and onto him. This happens only through prayer. We roll where we see injustices. Uh, we roll our wants, our needs onto the Lord's shoulders, and we watch him work and open up doors for the gospel to go forward. Too many times our plans get in the way of God. This should become our rhythm. I learned a valuable lesson this past week that some of you have known and have been very clear to tell me my beard is getting whiter. I learned that very clearly this week. We had, uh, was it Monday or Tuesday morning? I'm just getting ready to leave for work. Oh, I was getting ready to hop in the shower. I was still in my jammies. And uh, all of a sudden our kitchen starts dripping and drip, drip, drip. Uh, we have this one spot that we get leaks when the, the snow melts on our roof. And I'm like, okay, well, Manly Ryan, I'm just going to go out in my jammies. I'm going to fix this. So I grab a, a pretty good size ice chopper and I just grab it and, you know, Brett Favre, the thing up on, on the roof, maybe Joe Montana, I don't know. But I, I was like, all right, I'm just going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I have not warmed up. I have not stretched. That is now not something I can do. And so uh, those of you that have been here for a few years, you know, I had some pretty extensive shoulder surgery a couple years ago. Apparently, I need to stretch more often than I do. So I'm like, Hurrah! right? There's a muscle I haven't been using for a while. And then I tried to make it work. And then it screamed at me and cussed at me. I mean, my shoulder is angry with me and swollen all week. Prayer is like a muscle. You have got to utilize the muscle of prayer. You've got to stretch it. You've got to nourish it. You've got to feed it and get it to the point where when you are told to throw, you are ready to and you're not laying on the snowbank wondering why in the world you grew old like me. But how many times is that us? They're like, man, stuff comes up and it's like we're pulling prayer muscles left and right. Like we're trying to charge forward and there's no cover fire of prayer. We're just like, God's going to work it out. Ah! You know, it's that, that picture on Facebook of Jesus take the wheel and it's like a driving wheel that goes off the car. And it's like, I didn't mean that wheel. You know, like I'm at the steering wheel. You know, like we, we get into spots and it's like, how did I get there? It's prayerlessness. You want to know the biggest sin in the church? It's not adultery. It's not pornography. It's, it's not not caring for the poor, is prayerlessness. Because if we prayed, all those other things would take care of itself. Thank you. Thank you. That was good. Amen. And we don't exercise the muscle. And we wonder why we're not seeing God fill this place to overflowing and having 17 church services on a Sunday morning. But are we covering this town in prayer? We got this huge festival in town with thousands of people visiting. Number four, David says that he values stillness. Verse five, commit your way to the Lord and trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Verse seven, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. David's going to repeat uh, two other times in these uh, 40 verses of, of the chapter 
He's going to repeat two more times. Uh, in verse 9, he says, Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Uh, verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his ways. He's going to repeat this idea of waiting and waiting and waiting. God's will cannot be rushed. God's will cannot be rushed. For David, he waited 16 years to know that what God had already told him to come to fruition. He waited. Be still before the Lord. It's not sit on the couch and wait for God to do great things. It's that you are actively waiting and pursuing Jesus Christ, and you are seeing the fulfillment of those things come through prayer. You are seeing God move. This is a person fully enamored with the grandeur of God uh, that they serve and being recharged by this truth all the time. And if you want to know if you're waiting well, just read the end of the verse. The question is, do you fret? If you're somebody that's prone to fret, prone to worry, then there is a problem and you're not waiting well. And so we got to get back to the prayer and get back to the Jesus is our delight and get back to pursuing faithfulness. It's almost as if it builds to the point of stillness and waiting. When is the last time you asked God to guide you at the juncture of life that you're in? When is the last time you just said, God, what do you want me to do? When is the last time you made God your delight? When is the last time you wept in prayer? When is the last time that you just said, God, here's an area of sin, and God, I want to be faithful, and I can't do this? When is the last time? Let's all stand, and the band's going to make their way up, and it's a time of response. So we're going to do one last worship song, and if God moves you to respond uh, through prayer, or uh, you can pray with somebody that you're with, you can pray by yourself, you can pray with somebody that looks semi-spiritual around you, or you can come forward and pray with one of our prayer counselors up front. Uh, we're here for you. Uh, as God speaks, we want to respond well. Uh, let me pray us into our time of worship as Jacob begins to uh, shred on the guitar. So, uh, God, thank you so much for this morning and uh, just the ability to look at uh, your word. And, God, you are the only thing that deserves to be our delight in our whole day, in our whole life span. God, you are the only thing that is worthy to be, become our delight. Uh, God, you created us to find joy in you and nowhere else. God, I pray that you would take our hearts and that you would mold them and shape them this morning. God, speak to these areas in our lives of unfaithfulness to you, these areas in our life of prayerlessness, these areas in our life of just uh, trying to fix things over and over and over again without stopping and praying and being still before you and watching you move. God, our story is about you. You are the one on the marquee of our lives, Lord, and I pray that you would go back there for people who have wandered in Christ's name. Amen. If you need prayer, you come forward. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning. Still will follow.
This next verse we don't actually have on the screen, and the the band doesn't know it either. <laughs> but it's one that I read this past week, and I think it's cool, so we're gonna sing it. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now? To follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Morning, uh, Lord, we just know that um, uh, your word is clear that, um, God, as we delight in you, that you give us the desire.